love that came from plays, from plays. Doors are closing, sets are flipped, backstage is a maze. Lovers trading lovers, sardines on and off, husbands under covers, contacts getting lost. Movies that we love that came from plays, from plays, lines are dropped to pregnant carpets, crazed, depraved. Directors getting angry, flowers getting bright, co-stars hanky-panky. Selston getting caught. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please take your seats? The curtain will rise in one minute, two minutes, three minutes, one minute, two minutes, two minutes, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, one minute, two. The theater, the theater. CJ's very subdued. Hello. Hello. It's Monday. It is Monday. We're We're recording recording on a Monday. Monday. That's a new thing for us. We don't, yeah, we don't normally record on Monday. We don't normally record. I sort of fucked that up. I got a little bit sick this weekend. You're supposed to record on Friday. I know. I got super sick. uh, Not with But you were also eating poop. I was. To be fair, and that caused you Uh, to poop. Yep. Uh, that's the second time we started the podcast talking about eating, eating fecal, fecal matter. matter. Yes. Um, <laughs> Mouths and butts are the same thing. Mouths and butts are the same thing. Our most liked Instagram post. Um, <laughs> of course it was. Of course you know it was. Uh, Thanks, I'm going to go ahead and get into this. Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater people made by, or with, whatever, three theater people makers. Theater, ma- guys, I'm falling apart. Wow. The LA hey, no, listen, we're all falling apart. The world I'm J. Bailey Bertram. I'm C. J. Merriman, and I am Scott Leggett. It's fucking right. And for for all of you who don't know, we're members of the Sacred Fools Theater Company in Los Angeles, and each week we get together and we talk about plays and playwrights that we have strong opinions on, and we discuss, debate, and disseminate them. And normally, we would. Uh, we would do a playwright, but this week's a little special, all right? This yeah. is a very important episode, and this is important for multiple reasons, all right? Mm-hmm. First of all, this is our sixth episode, and if you've listened before, then you know that every sixth episode, we will be doing a specialty topic, and our topic for the week, I'll get into us in a second, but uh, the number two reason why this is important. Number two. Number two. <laughs> False matter. Uh, the other reason why this is important <laughs> is because after doing some sleuthing, into our analytics of the pod, oh. we realized that our Tony Kushner episode uh, was actually the most, per- it was outperforming our other episodes. <laughs> and while it's possible that it's just because you guys live for the OG Kush, I'd Eesh. like to believe that it's because of the fact that we actually split the episodes in twain and made shorter bursts, which I think might be a little easier to ingest. So we've decided to do that with every episode now. We're going to be. Uh, We'll put did out, we do that like, with Durang? Did we split we didn't, Durang? Into- we didn't split Durang, and it's a very okay. long episode. It's like yeah. a, almost it's three-hour like episode. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, oh, I think it's actually exactly two thirty. But uh, so uh, the final to- the, the final edit was two thirty, but that yeah. didn't include music and 
you know, exactly. Other, other so we'll put out closer to like an hour long episode now every week instead of every other week. You're and welcome, everybody. Exactly. <laughs> and we'll get to talk as long as we want about every playwright or whatever it may be without y'all complaining about length. Complain about girth all you want. Why would anyone complain about length? I, that's what I'm saying. You can complain about girth, but if you start talking length, I'm like, come on. You only need two inches. So, Stop being uh, size queens, everybody. Also, that's what the, <laughs> uh, the pause button is for. Because I got like, a, I got like um, one of those like soda can situations going, but like mm-hmm. one of the, ha- the half cans. Oh, my God. So I've got a width. baby's arm. I got the width, but I got the stub, too. You know, I have the about? arm of an infant. It's not true. Holding an apple. an apple. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get. We're gonna. We're gonna get one email from like that. That one chick in Tennessee. It's like his dick's not like that. <laughs> I, I can actually be the one to tell you guys that Scott's dick is not like that. Um. Anyway, <laughs> this is our very specially splendiferous sixth episode in the series, and we, our topic we, is movie adaptations. From plays. Now, I want to set up some rules real quick, and then we're going to talk about a, a mini thing before we get into the real episode. Because right. the, one of the one of the parts of this is that we're not doing TV movies or miniseries. We're not no. doing Shakespeare movies, and we're no. not doing musical movies. Correct. Now, this everything else is fair game. So anything that started as a play and became a movie, no matter what form that took, that's what we're talking about. And obviously, there's like hundreds of those, but we're just talking about. Six very specific ones today. But before we get into that, there's something very popular in pop culture. That being said. <laughs> yeah. There's something uh, get, that we kind of wanted to touch on because we know that a lot of uh, theater people are discussing it right now. It's a lot of debate. It's a lot of discussion. Um, it's this little thing called Hamilton. Or how I learned to, to stop worrying and love the bomb. That's right. That's not, that's not, not really... <laughs> why don't they make a doctor strange love musical why can't we do that i'm sure somebody's tried to have done it it's called waitress and it's uh, <laughs> good. uh i just um it's weird random little hamilton well i guess it isn't a hamilton fact do you know who actually wrote a rap musical long before hamilton me steve bannon Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm not yeah, that's kidding right. that's about right. this. That's right. You I may have been that. the one yeah. who told me that. Yeah. And it was, and it was like a political rap musical. I bet it's terrible. Straight street. Like I bet it's <laughs> really. I bet it's really raw and like has like old dirty bastard vibes. Like but, I'm, I, I bet it's amazing. Yeah. Well, like every every angry right wing person like Steve Bannon or Alex Jones or someone <laughs> like that, they've all been rejected by the entertainment industry. And uh-huh. that's why they're mm-hmm. mad. And that's why they're politics. Liberal Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Liberal Hollywood. <laughs> Pissing all over everybody. Well, okay, so Hamilton. Give me some so, give me some thoughts, Scott, because well, I know you had some. So this is a long thing. Because what's happening, first of all, let me preface, I, I was knocked on my ass. I sat down with my arms folded and I was kind of like, show me. After yeah. having listened to the cast a- album many times over the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, show me. And they did. Like, I was knocked out. Yeah. Like, I thought it was great. And it was also a disappointment. Because for the past four or five years, there was ridiculous almost absurd hype to it yeah so my initial hype this was how it started was 
right after it moved to Broadway, I had a friend of mine who'd seen it off Broadway and then went to see it on Broadway. And I'm like, is it really that good? And what I got was, you will walk out of it a different person. You will walk out of uh, out of seeing it a changed human being. Which is um, a bold, massive statement. It's It's huge, but it didn't really, that kept up that hype kept up it intensified yeah and so my reaction right now is reacting to people who have done the hyping over the years that are mad that there's any notes or criticism criticisms at all like right. how dare you yeah and i'm like but it, it it from the beginning like there was a great article from a historian this past week who was kind of talking about some things that are glossed over in the musical or just not right in the musical. Mm -hmm. um, and if the, the last sentence was, Lin-Manuel gets to be a dramatist and gets to take dramatic license. I'm a historian and I get to write my, my theoretical and my analytical and academic analysis of how it's incorrect. And so th it's this notion that it's become this untouchable, unspeakable thing, but that comes from an elitist point of view. It comes from either people who are fortunate enough to be in New York and have either the money or win a lottery to go see it. So you were lucky if you got to see it in one way or another. Right. And then even like the tour that hit Los Angeles on the first national tour was not inexpensive. I don't think you could get tickets for less than $350, $400. Right. And, and so it's, it's been this interesting thing where I was, I, I will, for all three of those women, I will be fans of forever. Leslie Odom Jr. I will be fans forever. Uh, David Diggs, I will, all of them. The cast was extraordinary. And, you know, I got into the thing with somebody earlier this week and then I will shut up and pass off my rant. Um, that I was like, if, if the legacy of Hamilton is nothing more than a new generation and a more diverse generation got exposed and got indoctrinated into musical theater, then so be it. Let that be its legacy and how glorious that is. Right. I don't know if time will tell now if how much it will endure. I think it'll endure for a while minus, you know, some of the historical just criticisms of you know kind of the glossing over of some things sure. and rant i loved hamilton i fucking loved it and i think you should everybody should watch it i just don't think it's beyond criticism or critique thank you thank you for my time <laughs> i yield to the senator okay, from wisconsin <laughs> what do you think Steve? uh my my thesis on this I found has been, especially with how everyone is reacting to it, whether good or bad, is kind of my thesis on coronavirus of like, hey guys, <laughs> hey guys, everyone's gonna have different feelings about this. Like, yeah. it's it's okay if you loved it. It's okay if it is your favorite musical, but let's not get mad at people that didn't feel the same way. Other way that like people aren't idiots because they loved the musical. Like that's, here, here. I think it's because we're all like, cooped up and we just need to like get angry about something but this is this is just let's all just enjoy it or not enjoy it and stop being shitty to one another about how we're handling it right up. Um, up, Sage. but up. um uh i will say like 
Okay, so I did a recital a couple years ago, and it was these kids that picked the music, and this little girl picked the opening number, Alexander Hamilton, and My Shot. And we were given sheet music for that stuff. And I've got to say, My Shot is 21 pages of music. And when we got to the end of it, we were gasping for breath. There were like 10 of us doing all the vocals and stuff. Mm-hmm. There, From the soundtrack, to the performance, to the sheet music, that shit is impeccable. Like, when I hear all of them, everyone in that cast, when I hear them singing or rapping, I can see the notes on the page. And that's what the notes on the page are. So, like, I to me, that's like an enormous team effort, right? To get all that stuff together. Mm. Um, I really, I loved the performance. I know people sometimes are a little bit hard on Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm, I'm not, I don't get as mad about him. I... I think he's got one of the most um, unique voices in the business right now. I don't know anybody that sings or performs like him, which is why I personally like him as Alexander. Because, you know, you hear, we discuss this, Bailey, you hear the soundtrack and it's like, that's who I like and that's all I want to hear in that role. We all do that. Um, But yeah, I just... I just thought it was impeccable. I I told you both I was confused by the last moment of the show, um, but uh, I loved it from top to bottom, and I'm so glad they did it, like so that everyone could sit and watch it during quarantine. And sidebar, my parents were going to see it at the fabulous Fox in St. Louis. I think they spent at least five hundred dollars for their tickets, maybe more, but they they were refunded because uh, everything got canceled because of COVID. So Ugh, right them and you bailey yeah um you know i think uh i this might sound i might be more arrogant than i than this is true uh but i think there were some people kind of waiting to and by some people i mean some of my close friends waiting to hear really what i thought about this because when when it became such a hyped thing and you know i have a lot of opinions about the bastardization of of broadway and 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 things like that you know and and just how it's all for money and whatever but i also knew that this was a huge moment in history for uh people of color in the industry and uh the amount of friends that i have that have been employed by this show whether it be on tours or on broadway or as tech crew or whatever it may be is like incredible so i have to give it that love no matter what right um, sure sure i'm also the kind of person who i mean i obviously i love movie musicals um uh i don't l- always love filmed music live performances I'm, yeah i do uh-huh. sometimes like i really love the old james lapine um into the woods oh yeah uh, like with you know fucking uh, Bernadette and everybody like Ooh, yeah. that that to me is like really well done because i always feel like i'm just seeing the stage there's no direction of film on top of the direction of theater right mm. whereas this time i guess the whole time i was watching i kept going god i wish i could see the whole stage right now because the choreo is incredible. Right. And I kept just being like, oh, I, I bet I'm missing what's happening behind you because I see movement and you're zoomed in on, on Lynn. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what this stage picture is. And maybe that's just my like kind of director brain that's just like, I want to know what this director was thinking the whole time also, right? Because that's, like you're saying, um, CJ, that's the collaboration of it all, is like the whole picture, everything together. And so I think that's why it lost a little impact for me. Um, but I could also see all the things that I, I can tell work live, right? Where I was like, ooh, I bet that's so cool live. I bet that's amazing live. Right. Voices 
in, like impeccable. Like that's the perfect word for it. Like there was not a moment of of um, where I felt a, a false moment of acting. There wasn't a moment where I felt a false moment singing. Mm-hmm. You're with them the whole time. I purposely didn't listen to the soundtrack before, um, just because mm-hmm. I really wanted to go in. Like I said before, like I want to see it. That's what theater is, right? Like I want to like I don't even like reading Shakespeare because I'm like, no, I want to see this crap. You know, like yeah. I don't need to read this. I want to see it on stage. So. I did go in with the sort of hype bubble around me going like, I know that I have feelings about things that get hyped up because I'm a pretentious theater person and I'm okay admitting that I'm a total snob. And when somebody tells me that this is the greatest thing ever, I automatically go, I bet it's not. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So, yeah I'm, su- I'm super, super sensitive to hype. Like yes. when, when you say, when you tell me my brain's going to be blown, I'm yes. like, you know, I when I close my eyes, I see it, you know, like, you know, fairies on skateboards, you know, right. dancing on top of mushrooms. So be careful. Like, right. I need to walk my, out like actually changed. For yeah. you to, and and by the by the production, not just by the content, because mm-hmm. the content content is in itself very cool. It's very punk rock to take people of color and put them in these like anti-immigration roles and tell a different story like like. I mean, we can get into the history of it all day, but Hamilton was a piece of trash. So, like, to heroize him is a, is a weird thing, but then to also put a person of color and change his narrative and make a totally different story out of it, out of the basic facts, is punk rock. Like, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So I can get mm-hmm. behind the show 100%. I'm all about it. I think it's cool uh, that they filmed it, put it on Disney+. Plus. It's, like, the most watched thing on the planet right now. All about it. I'm super cool with all that. People watching theater. I love it. However, I, <laughs> I think it's also my only final say on this thing is I want to see somebody else play Hamilton. I just think he's way too aware of his own phenomenon and it's hard to watch. And maybe that's my own coloring of it. Maybe I was sitting there going, ah, you smug little fuck. And I didn't actually <laughs> have any basis for it because I'm sure he's great, even though I know there's a lot of drama surrounding him and at the same time, like I was just like kind of waiting to be impressed by him the whole time when the whole rest of the cast was in fact blowing me over. And I guess he had a little bit more of a hill to climb for me and he didn't climb it. So that, that was my only thing is I'm excited to see it live. I'm excited to see it with a new cast and new, you know, new people. I'm excited to follow the careers of those actors. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw Philippa Sue in Amelie at, um, uh, the Amundsen, and it was one of the worst shows I've ever seen. But God, her voice was so She's incredible. Got a, yeah. She's so the pipes good. on that woman. The pipes on so All many of them. them. I mean, I Leslie Odom Jr. did a oh. uh, nationwide commercial last nationwide year, and I remember it was just so good. Thirty second commercial spot, and I was like crying by the end <laughs> because his voice is like butter. Yeah. his no, voice is like really butter. Is. So yeah, <laughs> I'm really. Lo- I'm. Can I tell you what I'm really looking forward to? Sure. I mean, I want to see. A, a stage for I'm looking forward to a really great filmmaker yeah. making a film of this. That'll be cool. all right. And, I'm in. and re rethinking how all of that works. Um, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I agree with you because I think the Chris Columbus rent movie is better than the actual stage production. <laughs> and um, people will rip me apart for that. Between, but no, that. no, no. Uh, between you and me, anything is better than the original. Right? No. I just. Uh, but. <laughs> because, it, because it. Well. No. Because we're not going to go down a rent. We're not going to go a rent thing. Except that 
there was a similar thing that I was worried about for a while with Hamilton. And that is, is that rent was sold to me and to my generation. And I'm a little bit older than you guys as a, it was, it was the grunge musical, right? It was a grunge musical. I'm like, this grunge? isn't grunge rock and roll. It was okay. grunge, yeah. like, yeah, grunge. Her, no. but, but it wasn't at all. I'm like, no, you're right. all, they're all singing properly like musical theater people. And, and so when I first, when I first heard of Hamilton, which was from a high up kind of famous person who had seen it in the workshops, right. As it was moving away from Lincoln center and all that stuff. But, um, said, this is the quote, it's hip hop, it's hip hop. And so the initial buzz about it, about Hamilton was coming from white people that sounded like they were really slapping themselves, you know, on the back for, for hip hop, for bringing yeah. hip hop to Broadway. Right. And I'm like, what are you talking Black about? Like, like that's been, it's literally been in, in your backyard in the alleyways for 40 years. What are you, right. and you haven't, you haven't, they hadn't really done anything. And I'm glad, you know, it, I would never call this a hip hop musical. It's a, it's hip hop infused, but it's also classic musical theater infused and there's rock elements to it. And there's, you know, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a well-rounded thing. Hamilton. Sure. Shall we move on? To Let's move on. <laughs> At best, Hamilton and Rent are just sidesteps from hair. They're generation. Yeah, right. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's just like, this is a generation. And we're like, yeah, Hamilton. And then next, in the next 10 years, there'll be another one. So we'll find out what that is. But until then, let's get back into our actual topic for the podcast today. Now, this is uh, movie adaptations into plays. I've been really excited about this one. Yeah. And uh, obviously, there are hundreds of movies based on plays, but... Ooh. And we'll stuff be that this. you forget about and weird and so, stuff. Oh, yeah. And I started going in, down these rabbit holes where I was like, oh, that was a fucking play? So we'll be doing this episode every season because we yeah. decided there are just way too many to cover. We don't want to go through a whole list because we would just have to talk about every single one. So today we've chosen just to do six uh, uh, specific movie adaptations of plays. And these films are, we're not going to tell you yet. Should we tell them? Yeah, no, 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 make no, no, them no. Now you have to listen to the whole episode. Let's put it behind a paywall, put it on a Patreon. <laughs> listen to the whole episode, bitch. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all of them, but we'll cut out any time we reference the name of the play. So then they, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, but... Let's get it started. Let's get let's fucking yes. kick this off because I we're starting off with one of our with one of my favorite plays and movies for separate reasons of all time. And this we live tweeted together. We uh we I uh, made Bailey very mad during this. So angry. <laughs> so which you will again. I know you're going to say it again and we're going to get into it. But I have more thoughts after being familiarized with the play. So this play slash movie is the legendary, ever phenomenal Peter Schaffer play, Amadeus. Amadeus, 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 Amadeus. Come on and rock me, Amadeus. Let's be really clear. We did watch the director's cut. All right. We don't fuck we with that theatrical cut nonsense. All right. We went for the full three hours. Okay. It was like yeah. 20 years before that director's cut showed up. Yeah. Oh, so oh for, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for years and years and years, I had only seen. All we had was the, the peasants' version. Yes. Well, and and that's I. We'll get into it, but I, I, I'm I'm rethinking now that I think the original might be better than the director's cut. 
I'm just saying. Ooh, we'll get into okay. it. Yeah, yeah. I might agree with you. We'll talk about it. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. I mean, the, because the director's cut does make it a different movie, Boo. which is already different Company. from the play, and it, it doesn't. Does. The director's cut doesn't get any closer to the play. It gets further away from the play to me, which is yes. fine. Which is fine. Because I have, I've always had mixed feelings about the play, but um, it's only because this I've is going to be interesting. Because I've only seen bad productions. I've never seen a really good production of the play. Can um, I tell a little Amadeus story yeah, since yeah. we're talking about productions? Yeah. Um, a little context. I've never cried as hard about not getting a part as, <laughs> as when I didn't get the role of Nugget the horse in Schaffer's Equus. Oh. Okay. I have never cried harder in my life. Now, I ended up getting a different role uh, that same season, uh, which put me out of the running to play Nugget. So it was kind of fine, but it was a terrible role. It doesn't matter. I really wanted to play Nugget. He's the horse in Equus. And because I had done so much work on the show already, I decided that for a class, I was just going to write a paper on it. But it ended up being more about like Schaffer and, which by the way, it's Schaffer, not Schaefer. I thought it was All right. Schaffer. It's Schaffer. Schaffer. Um, that would make sense. Yeah. So, uh, so I ended up writing it more specifically on Amadeus than Equus. So I know the show extremely well. So I want to set it up that way. But I went to see the play in at a theater I'm not going to mention that is local to Los Angeles. And I love LA theater. I will support all LA theater, which is why I was at this play. It's a small um, valley play. And, it, it, you know, at a small community theater that is well-funded. And so it had really nice sets and costumes. And I knew that about it. So I was like, ooh, cool. I want to go see their take on Amadeus. Now, knowing the play very well and all the theatricality of it and all the voices that are playing, you know, the... the, the um, uh, voice tracks that play and the whispering and the Amadeus. Yes, I love you that know, like, part. Which is so cool and, and absent from the film. All of that is very exciting to me. So I went and I sat and uh, I got really pumped for this. About five minutes into the play, I lean over and I go, oh, I guess they cut some of the whispering and stuff. That's weird because that's how sort of the play opened. Yeah. Right? That's how that, yeah. yeah. And it just didn't happen. And so then daddy. people start walking on stage and they're wearing the, the exact costumes from the film. Oh, okay. And I'm sitting there going, huh, okay, interesting. So you've watched this film and felt like this is exactly how it needs to look. Right? Because in a weird way, this film is fully... It's a gorgeous film. It is, it's gorgeous, but it's Milos Forman's style. It's not Schaffer's style that makes right. that film so beautiful, right? Like, I would argue that this is the best film adaptation that fully has its own style and direction that is clearly... Definitely has owned. its own script. Yeah, while not taking away from the original thing, right? So it's like... It doesn't detract from the original, but it does, it, it enhances the original in some ways and also just is its own entity, right? But the problem that it became was that I was watching somebody try to put the movie on stage, which uh -huh. you can't do. They're like too different, right? No, so, you'll lose. Yeah, and they even you have won't win that battle. They even, you won't yeah, win that battle. they have character differences and plot differences, and 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 Schaffer even like re extensively revised the play like multiple times. So they're trying to use these new revisions that are way outside of even what the Foreman movie is is like adapting from, and they're trying to morph it into this film, 
And I got to be honest, guys, I've talked about this on the pod before that I'm not afraid to walk out of a show if I'm offended by it. I left the intermission. I was like, this is pro it was horribly acted. It was horribly whatever. But even to the point where the acting moments were directly out of the film. Every oh, single moment, ew. the Salieri's, the, 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 the gestures, the whatever. Because I know the film so well that I was sitting there going, you're trying to be F. Murray Abraham. Like, how right. am I supposed to him? How, how am I supposed to, like, be on your side when you're just trying to recreate another performance? And I had to, I had to leave. And then I found out later there's this very famous director who does, uh, I'm not going to say who he is or what films he's done, but he's done a bunch of rom-coms and he lives in the Valley and he does plays at this um, theater and he was in it. So I kind of recognized him. I was like, oh, turns out he actually got some of the original film pieces of costume uh -huh. for this production. So they were, in fact, literally trying to put the film on stage. And I... Just to start this conversation off, I think that is the biggest fucking mistake you can do with any play ever is to try to retrofit what was adapted from it back onto the fucking oh, yeah. stage. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I feel I that mean, way about understudying. You don't do that person's show. You do your own show. That's right. Right. I mean, yeah. I, and I think that I think that that's a testament to because that's the problem with every production I've ever seen of the play. I've seen like three or four of them. And the, the problem is, is that this, the movie haunts. Yeah. So what I've seen, and to be fair, you know, people have tried to do their own thing with it. Right. And they're still haunted. I mean, you look at like critics, like this is on like, Amadeus is one of the 100 greatest movies ever made. I yeah. don't know if Amadeus the play is one of one, one of the 100 greatest plays ever written. Correct. And for a variety of reasons, production and you know design and Milos Forman and I just watched uh, the episode that mentions him of uh, Story of Film, um, which oh, yeah. is uh, a fantastic documentary on Phenomenal. history of movies. Scott um, got me onto it, and I haven't stopped watching it. It's, it's and it's incredible. so good. And they it's on my list. It's he's interesting. It but, actually kind of tackles a movie that we're going to talk about later. As yeah, well. really cool. and Milos just and you can see, you can clearly see his influence on Schaffer, who wrote the script for this, and how they took it and made it just a slightly different thing. It's a slightly different thing. Yeah, like it's, it's the play is kind of a murder mystery and a confessional. The movie is distinctly a confessional about a specific human being and and going through that journey of envy and hatred and respect and all that that stuff that um and and those performances are just you know i think it haunts any plays um cj you haven't talked <laughs> fucking talk. Well, you, you know what? You guys get on your movie things, so I just let you talk and I listen. Well, well I'm jumping for my time. But um, I think you should hop in and talk about the play then. All right. Well, here's my thing. I'd seen the movie a handful of times. Um, I had never read the play, and then I listened to LA Theater Works do the play, um, which God, they just keep rolling out these amazing readings of shows. Um, I, I, I like both of them. Completely. 
Um, but I will say, I think I like the play a little bit better because it is more complex. I feel like they said to Schaffer, hey, we want to make a movie out of your play. And he said, good, because I want to write it completely differently. Um, sure. I think I think the ending in the movie is much like the implications and all of that stuff is much more exciting and it's it's much more like folklore. I think the end of the play is a little bit more like this is actually maybe what could have happened. Sure. Um, I the play okay the the movie that we watched was three hours long. Uh, the reading that I listened to had more scenes, had more character information, had more character depth, and it was two hours long. I know this is a reading and it would have been longer if it would have been on stage, but there was more information, there was more character development, because to me the movie was about a genius that was jealous of an idiot savant that was more genius than him. And that that never-ending like race after that the movie to me, the play to me was everyone was much more complex. You saw Mozart be a big dummy fun guy at the party. You saw him be a genius and you also saw him be a motherfucker to everybody, to right. wife, to, to his wife, to Salieri. There, there are more scenes between Salieri and Stanzi in, in the play, which was interesting to me. Um, the thing that they did in the LA Theater Works thing, um, that I think, and please don't misunderstand me. F. Murray was fucking great as Salieri. I really dug the guy that they had for L.A. Theater Works. He had mm -hmm. a he had a slight Italian accent the whole time. He had and it, oh, I'm sorry. It, go ahead. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt you. No, no, no. I uh, please interrupt. I just he, he it it made. I thought he was awful. I you thought, thought that, he was awful. I okay. thought he was, and it's Michael. It was Michael Emerson who's great. Mm -hmm. Um. But I thought that accent was horrible. Oh, I didn't I was think it horribly, was. I was horribly distracted by it. Oh no! Well, because I think that, listen because to the that's an, works on Medeus and let us. Yeah. Speak. Well, because here's why: is because uh, whoever plays Mozart is British, and that what's his name? I forget his name from Battlestar Galactica. Uh, I can't but he's remember. British, so he has a British accent, which doesn't make any sense. Edward James almost. Um, no, no, not Edward. <laughs> uh, whoever. <laughs> Balthar is or whatever but and so that was one of the things that people try to do to make it different that doesn't work for me see that and I get you I I, I understand go ahead I, I I get why you I I just I was like this is this is I have no idea why you're doing this and why <laughs> I okay. have no idea why well, he was doing that is, and then is lacking of all accents no one well has but that's the well, thing, but that was because you've got all these Germans and Austrians, and I remember this when they were talking about Chernobyl. When you get in like Eastern European Russian accents, they can get real like cartoony sounding. So usually, when you get to plays like plays or movies like that, they're like, just let's just all do something general because right. we don't want to we don't want this to start sounding like Rocky and Bullwinkle or something. Right. And then there's that part of you that's like, I also don't want an actual native speaker to be able to be like, that is fucking ridiculous. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. That of course too. You know what my thing was too? I think this is maybe why I liked the Italian accent thing a little bit more. The guy that played Salieri in LA theater works was, um, <sighs> okay. Sorry. F Murray did not, I don't, I thought he was great in the movie. I think he's great in the movie. There is such a difference between him. 
Like, all of a sudden, when he is an old man, he's all of a sudden become this, like, super passionate, expressive person. When he's this very interesting, like, buttoned-together and calculating person when he's younger. The character, I guess the character arc in the play and the Italian accent, for me, helped with this. He he, He sounded like the same guy, young to old to me he seemed like the same guy young to old he'd just gotten older when he was confiding in the audience in the play does that make sense yeah yes yeah by the way the contention that cj and i had was of the f murray abraham (laughs) performance that's what we were uh talking about and i think she was just a little bit uh perturbed by the makeup and hair that's just that's my personal opinion but i don't know she was incorrect she was incorrect i think we Uh, was on my period bailey and i agree that you were just wrong and on your period yeah and i you know i think that i think uh vaginal blood flow definitely had something to do with it but honestly more than anything i think you know it's a it's a oscar worthy performance and let me check well let me just say it's the the shedding of the he won the, the shedding of the uterine so, wall. It's not. Jesus. It's not please blood, see bleeding. my speech at the beginning of my Hamilton critique at the top yeah. of the show, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> vaginal wall shedding. Um, so, <laughs> jokes. Vaginal um, wall shedding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, I. Think, I know how it works. I think um, what I'd I'd like a little bit of context on this one. Do you have any any history on here, Scott? I know you're I our do. historian. I do. Um, so uh, yeah. Um, so it was first uh, first performed in 1979. Um, I did not know this. It was inspired by a, a, a short play from 1830 by uh, Alexander Pushkin called right. Mozart and Salieri. I did not which, know that. Which was actually I knew about made. The, yeah, it was actually made into an opera as yes, the same. And source I knew material. about the opera. Yeah, and the and the play acted as the libretto from the opera, and I just right. didn't. I just know did yeah. not play this. Kind of cool. Um, yeah, uh, won the Tony Award in 1981 for um, for best play. Yep. Um, <laughs> against some good stuff, actually. Good stuff. Um, it was a, a good lesson. Year. A lesson from Aloes, A Life by Hugh Leonard, which is great, and uh-huh. Fifth of July by Lanford Wilson, which is one That's of my favorite right. plays. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, it debuted at the National Theater in 1979, directed by Peter Hall. Yep. Um, Paul Schofield was Salieri, and holy shit, like that would have been. That would have been amazing. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Simon Callow played the original Mozart. <gasps> but neither of them gets the Tony. Well, okay. No, no, Fuck no, no. Fuck that shit. But the, the Tonys Tony go-, go to amazing people. Ian McKellen as Salieri and Tim Curry as Mozart. Yes. <laughs> and, um, wow. Tim Curry is nominated against McKellen. They put them both as leading actor in a play. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, McKellen wins. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would never in a million years ever want to play Mozart because you'll always lose. Like you're always going to lose to Salieri, but see, because that's kind of the bullshit thing. It's really a supporting role. Yeah. Oh yeah. Amadeus is really the quintessential. For sure. Yeah. Especially in the play, which is much weaker than the movie. Yeah. Um, Uh, I disagree. Um, different how's that different thank I, you two different entities i think that's yeah i think that's definitely they're the different about it yeah um but then um uh interesting trivia mark hamill replaced tim curry on broadway as mozart Ooh, and really? um i bet that was really was, hard to and, watch <laughs> no they say he was extraordinary he got oh, all wow. kinds of he's praise. a great yeah. actor 
he's yeah, fine. He's, he, a, he's a phenomenal voice actor, so I could imagine his voice uh, work through that would be incredible. Yeah, he's yeah. like laugh the Joker forever. <laughs> he's he yeah. to me, he's the he's the penultimate jo- Joker. Oh yeah, I think his voice as Joker is what lives in my brain as the Joker to this day. I mean, you know, I love the Batman, the original, you know, um, uh, Burton Batman and stuff. But sure. I just there's just that. That voice and that laugh that just sticks with you. So I could imagine him using that Joker laugh as Amadeus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they great. said he was great in it. Cool. He actually met with Milos about doing the, the movie, but um, Milos, just because he was so Luke Skywalker, wasn't interested. But yeah. what he did, this is so dick, uh, Milos cast two different casts. He cast a British cast, which oh. include Kenneth Branagh, as Mozart wow. uh, and and then he went with the American cast he felt like the, it went well you know he, he, sure. it worked whatever Milos can do whatever he wants All right. yeah um, but yeah, that's kind of the the big stuff there. Um, uh, another you know, notable Tony that it received was uh, best revival uh, and it won a best actor in a play David Suchet playing Sam, oh that's right yeah which to me sounds fucking incredible um and there's also a michael sheen casting of mozart in a different uh and uh lucian uh masamati uh most recently did salieri in the west end yeah um you would know him best as uh cj as lord fa in uh, dark materials and um, what's his name in um you are not my friend, my friend. Yes. That's his line. You are not my friend, my friend. What do you guys think of the Tom Hulse uh, performance, the Mozart performance in the film? Because he's um, he's an interesting one, right? He's been in some, some weirder movies. He's also in... Um, I always knew him as the voice of uh, Quasimodo in the Hunchback of Notre Dame mm. Disney film. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, which he sings Parenthood, the fuck out of, Animal by the House. way. Oh, Parenthood, right. He's um, Joaquin's older brother in Joaquin Phoenix's older brother in um, Parenthood. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I... Uh, the I know y'all are saying that uh, Salieri's the lead and all that stuff, but to me, it's like straight man and character actor. Because to me, before I ever like read the play or any of that stuff, to me, the 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 images that I remembered from the movie are Mozart directing in that amazing opera house, whether he's like happy or he's in the throes of like, I'm almost gonna die. I just think he's great in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I like him in it. And I the laugh, that... of course. How can you I mean, <laughs> To me that's Amadeus is the laugh. Like that's what I remember from it. Is there any historical um accuracy to that? Did did people talk about him having a silly weasel laugh? Like what is like I don't I've never heard that before. No, and and some of the critiques of when the play came out, there were some highbrow uh, music folks who were like the no no you know he he you know he wasn't that bad you know he right. he wasn't this quite the the monster that he took him to be and in fact like there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Salieri and Mozart were probably if not tight they were at least very professional and very cordial as a matter of fact after he died Salieri taught. Mozart's son in oh, real wow. life. Interesting. So like yeah, so there was there was definitely a lot of um license yeah. from from everything I could gather. 
Interesting. Well, do we have anything else to say? Do we got any final no, thoughts? No, uh, it's it's fucking it's it's Amadeus. It's yeah. it's it's a badass and it's it's lasted. I've I've been on this thing lately about um I think it was because of the Hamilton thing about criticism. somebody had posted on Facebook or something. I don't like Citizen Kane. And I was like it Citizen Kane doesn't care what you think. Like there's a point where something transcends and endures right. and influences so much that to right. say, it's like, I don't like Hamlet. I don't like the Mona Lisa. Right. They don't give up the Hamlet and the Mona Lisa. Don't give a fuck what you They're think. They're way more famous because, than you are. Uh, because they've, they've, they, because they've lasted. There's a speech in fucking in Amadeus. It's in the play and in the fucking movie. Well, I was, because I was they to endure. Say. Because yeah, they endure. That's the point of the play, right? That's the point of right. Amadeus in a weird way is this sort of like, you can be amazing, but there will always be a Mozart, right? Like right. there will, there, there, you yeah. know, there's always somebody who's just like profound and, and the world tends to follow those coattails and not the others, right? So there might be a Salieri song that might still live today that's played in courts or whatever, but if you say that name, unless you know this play, you have no idea who the fuck that is, right? right? Exactly. So I think it's kind of interesting too to even talk about... Um, you know, these entities in that way as well. Well, and who knows who's going to pop up in the next couple years from the past because, you know, we're kind of learning that our history was written in a stacked kind of right. way. So, Absolutely. like, who knows what's going to be popping up in the next, you know, couple years, decade of 100%. people that we didn't even know about back in the day. That's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one final thing on this is the uh, something interesting is this has been kind of known. It, it won a lot of great Tonys. Um, but it's kind of known as like having the film, specifically the style of the film, the Milos Forman um, style and the costumes are very big and very bosom-y, right? That's always kind of the joke is like lots of boobs, right? Like you, you can just see their boobs. Tony Award right? for boobs. Or and there's no. a lot of uh, uh, no Oscar, Oscar for boobs. Pardon me. And that's Oscar. my point actually I'm getting into is that this wasn't even nominated for costumes in the Tonys. Oh, all right. No, because I, I, it wasn't I, really trying to do that, right? It wasn't trying to be a vast costume piece. It was trying to just tell this story. So it was much simpler, and there wasn't this huge array of, like, people, right? You see these huge party scenes in the movie, and there's not that in the play. There's only maybe five people on stage at any given time. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, these really simple costumes that were, like, semi... Just... just this is This is what they wore at the time, you know? Whereas the movie is historically very inaccurate for the purposes of being stylized and hyper colorful and like they weren't using polyester um uh, pastels like that's hilarious right but but it's like that movie um, Marie Antoinette with Kirsten Dunst where it's like these crazy colors and these silly whatever's which it had some of that but they weren't it, it's not historically correct so it's kind well, of like a funny thing to watch but it wasn't even nominated for a I Tony think, yeah i know right for costumes. Uh, I think that the other thing that mm, mm, makes the movie superior to me is the music. In yeah, the music's great. You, you, you can have the music in the play, but it, every time I've ever seen it, uh, and even in that, that one audio book that's, that's floating out there, the, the LA... LA Theater Works. Yeah. It, it feels like a stage manager's hitting, hitting the button on the CD player. It doesn't have the bah. And in the sure. movie, like they, you know, they use that sound engineering to, to the nth degree so that the music becomes 
a bigger part than it is in the play because well, it can be. I have a sidebar on the sound engineering in the movie. There's a scene where they're rehearsing one of the scenes from the opera and like the male, like the baritone and like one of the sopranos are practicing and she's putting on a wig and he's like sitting down on the stage looking down at something and they're singing full on opera, which I made a note that was like, that's not how people... That's not how they would be rehearsed. They definitely wouldn't sound like that if they were doing shit like that in rehearsal. Yeah, I mean, there's so a lot of... I mean, you know, it's sort of like the um, uh, Phantom of the Opera movie, too, where if I'm, like, really putting on my theater hat and sitting there watching it, I'm going, this is all wrong. But they're kind of, like, moving past that just to get the basics out. But I totally No, I understand, you. yeah. Um, but uh, I sort of... You know, it, it, the score is really interesting. It's... um. Who did it? I can't even remember. It's oh, it's um here. I'll pull it up. Mariner, yeah, it's Neville Mariner, um, who's done a lot of shit, and John Strauss sort of helped him with that and whatever. But the whole thing is also using a lot of Mozart, right? A lot of the when they're when they're watching um, Marriage of Figaro or Magic Flute or specifically the uh, the one about his father, Don Giovanni. Um, he is using a lot of those themes from the actual opera, which is cool, but then using it in like a bigger way that's like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that shit. Um, I saw Don Giovanni at Wichita State Opera Program, which is an incredible opera program, uh, uh, MFA program that ha is one of the adjuncts there is Sam Raimi, not the director, but this he's the most recorded baritone on the planet. Ooh. And he was in the original... Um, uh, Camelot and things like that and so he's like he's kind of a big and Kismet so he's like a kind of a big deal and he um, uh, adjuncts there and he played uh, the father role the ghost of the father and it was like one of the most epic operas I've ever seen it was so fucking good so I'm a big fan of Don Giovanni uh, and I like how that plays out in the film and the play we should move on because we've been yeah. talking about this for like five hours um Next up, we have one of my favorite plays of all time, also one of my favorite playwrights, also somebody that we're going to be talking about pretty soon on the podcast, and that is August Wilson with his incredible f play slash film, Fences. Mm -hmm. Fences. Yes. Now, this was uh, August Wilson, for anyone who doesn't know, is a very prolific playwright. Um, he did a lot of chronicling of the 20th century African-American experience during the time when a lot of people weren't used to seeing that. Um, mm -hmm. in theater and on Broadway. Um, but he was biracial. He had a German father. I'm getting into historian stuff. I didn't mean to do all that. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> um, but no, he, no. Well, something I really love about him is that he was a poet. Uh, and I've read a lot of his poetry and I even seen a play that uh, at Organ Shakes that was made out of his poetry. And it was fucking phenomenal. He's great. Well, yeah. I mean, he's... I mean, I think he's up there with O'Neill and Miller and For sure. as one of are great American playwrights and one of especially the especially great... as someone telling the like American family experience. Right. Yeah. That's and doing it specifically around a, a, a city like, right. you know, it's Pittsburgh. the, the Pittsburgh cycle, you know, 10 plays set each set in a different decade through throughout the 20th century. And, and it actually and spans a whole century. So some people call whole... it the century cycle, which is kind yeah. of cool. Uh, one of the plays takes place in Chicago, but the rest are all. Yes, Pittsburgh. right. But um, home is Philadelphia, yeah. Pittsburgh. 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 Pardon me. Pittsburgh. <laughs> Pittsburgh. August Wilson and Andy Warhol. If they're if it's famous for 
only those two things. It'll Warhol. I got shit to say about Warhol, but we're talking about. <laughs> we're not going to go into Warhol because I will. <laughs> that's an angry rant from Bailey. <laughs> so, what a pretentious fuck. <laughs> so let's get into a few things because we haven't really talked about the movie and our viewing. We watched it separately. So oh, we did. Um, that's right. Um, so a couple things, Fences, uh, Pulitzer Prize, 1987, uh, yep. best play or for drama, excuse me. Yep. Um, uh, the Tony award for best play. Um, you know, it's, James uh, Earl Jones won, right? James Earl Jones yep. won. Um, and yeah, it was, it was huge. This was kind of the one that really put him on the map. Um, he had enjoyed success earlier, but, um, Mary Alice was the original Rose. Mm -hmm. Um, she's a tremendous actress. So they did it, it, uh, they developed it at uh, Yale rep, um, starting in, in 85 and, um, best play, best performance by a leading actor, best performance by a featured actress, best direction, um, drama desk award, all of it. It also know. it also it set a record. It won all that stuff. It did. Yes. Awesome. Uh, yeah. It also okay. set a record for non-musical Broadway productions. Uh, uh, box. Oh yeah. It yes. grossed eleven million in a single year, which was the most any straight Shit. play had ever made. Awesome. Which is crazy. And then, um, and then like what? Uh, you know, ten years later, or excuse me, three years later he um, wins another Pulitzer Prize, like, right yeah. after. Like, he was on a real roll. Was right that now. for, what was that Piano for? Lesson. Piano Lesson. No, uh-huh. Piano Lesson. Which is actually my favorite, um, August Wilson. Might, might, might be mine, too. But Piano we'll, Lesson. And we'll save that. Followed by maybe Jim of the Ocean. Yeah, we'll get into that at some point. Uh, I, I, lo- I love Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, too. But. Oh, that's, a, did you see, okay, Felicia Rashad did, yeah. uh, directed a Ma Rainey's Black Bottom at um, Paper about four, it was 2016, I know, because it was right around mm. election time. No, I didn't see, was, I would have seen it. Yo, it was so good. It she's was a great, so good. She's a great director. And she directs the fuck out. It was just really well done. And the cast was stellar. And it, was, it wasn't it was like a bunch of names or anything, which a lot of... Sometimes LA theater, bigger theater, tends to do that, where they're like, let's put yeah. three celebrities in. And I'm yeah. like, eh. This one was just... I didn't know a lot of them. And it was... I, you knew a couple faces. But it just... It was just perfect. And she really gets mm-hmm. it. And I think, you know, I Felicia Rashad. Everybody... Keep supporting her. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, they almost made this into a movie in 1990. And I wanted yeah. to talk about that. Really? Yeah. yeah. So basically, they were making it, and it was going to be James Earl Jones. And mm-hmm. um, and it was like it, it was supposed to be the original cast. And then basically Hollywood was like, here's our list of white directors that we want to direct it. And what? Wilson was yeah. like, fuck no. Yeah. And so Wilson fought it. On account of one not of only the black he fought director. it, he he put it in he put it in all of his shit. Yeah, like if you're gonna make a movie out of anything, if I'm dead, it, yeah. you have to have a black director. His will, his everything. Yeah, so he he was very pointed to say also that it wasn't on the basis of race, but on the basis of cultural understanding. That he felt right. like he really wanted it to be done the right way, and he was obviously correct because you know Denzel fucking nailed it. But in my opinion, but. He he really wanted white Americans to to see that, like, you know, it, which this going to the director thing. He really wanted it to be perfect so that white America could see that a a black garbage man, a normal everyday every man, 
um, is full of the same things that, that our lives are, right? Love, honor, beauty, duty, betrayal, recognizing the similarities in, in their lives, he hoped, and this is a direct quote from Wilson, recognizing the similarities in, in, the, people of, in the lives of white people could affect how they think about and deal with black people every day. Mm. And I was like, see, that's exactly right. Like, mm-hmm. we, sh- we should be letting black directors tell this story because a, a black director, uh, excuse me, a white director would just come in ha- sort of pretending at it, right? There, you would have really no basis in, right. in knowing how to talk to these people. And that's, you just can't do it that way. Yeah. Right. Um, the movie, though, is yeah. fucking phenomenal. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and uh, I don't know, I don't know if I have a criticism beyond I, I, I got to see, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing like two or three really great stage versions of Fences. Yeah. And so the movie, like, like, it's hard to go, oh, there's a criticism of it, except maybe it's not quite as dynamic as it is live. I don't know. It kind of got lost in, cause in, in for the Oscars, it was moonlighting that year yeah, and La La Land yeah. and it was all that. And so it was, it, you know, and Denzel got nominated for, for acting and, um, and he directed it. And he directed it and Viola Davis was nominated and God damn, she made me cry for at least half. Oh of my God. She's yes. amazing. And we'll get that, into her that, later on another film as well. And not uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. More. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, she's the only one that wins the Oscar by the way. Okay. Hey, did she win for that or just she nominated? Did. No, she won. She won uh, Best Supporting Actress because they that year they realized that, which is bullshit because she's obviously a lead actress in the right. film. Um, are you are knew, you on the internet? Double check that. Uh, let me double check. But double I know this, I remember this being a whole thing. Yep. Yeah. So she won, uh, but she won supporting because the whole thing right. was that everyone knew that Emma Stone was going to win for La La Land. So it was sort of this weird, like, okay, well, I guess, and there's like three other people who were nominated that same year uh, as, right. as um, lead that were sort of like, well, we can't give it to Viola if it's these people, which is all racially based, I'm sure, and really fucked up. Like, we can get into all that about the Oscars, but they basically were like, okay, well, the producers were like, we'll put her in as supporting so that you kind of have to give it to her because she's obviously the best of this. Right. And so they did. So she won that, but... Denzel does not get nominated for director, which I actually have to be honest, even though there was some controversy about that. I think it goes to your point, Scott. I think it's a little over-directed for what the play is because the play is so still and the movie moves a lot, right? Yeah, like I, I was taking note of the scenes that he chose to not have in the front yard yeah. which to me like the whole i i mean oh yeah like and it was it was a lot of the like really like when when he tells her that he's going to be someone else's father you know like right. that that was in the kitchen oh. as opposed to in the front yard which i i imagine having a conversation like that in the front yard could be a completely different dynamic to having that private sure. conversation in your kitchen for sure, yeah. and like in, in general, I think there's always that thing. Killer Joe did this too. Another, you know, when we talked about that in the Tracy Letts episode, where it's like, 
a, a play that's very specifically takes place all in one place. And then you as a movie adapter, you're like, oh, now right. that it's a movie, we can put it in 10 different places. And I'm like, why? And I, right. I like kind of part of me is like, I get it. Like, I know that you have to have the dynamics of it. But then there's that other part of me that's like, wouldn't it be cool to just shoot a whole thing that's all shot in one room or like well, right in? Well, I will say this too, though. Like another another location that he chose was when Rose went to him and asked him to come home from work today or tomorrow. I can't remember exactly what the word was in that. Right. But she. So obviously in the play it happens in the front yard, but in the movie it happens when he is walking out of work and she is saying it in front of all of his coworkers and stuff. Right. So that has a completely different connotation and to me a, a different thing that you're trying to do with it, maybe. Right. Um, so sure. yeah, I just took note. I don't know whether it's better or worse, but I just uh, I just took note of that. There was a handful of like the big scenes that were in For a sure. different place and it, it, i think it does change the context because there's that also that part of it if you're in a yard maybe you're not talking so loud right maybe you're not wanting people to hear maybe you're not you know whereas if you're in the house maybe you don't want a kid to hear or you don't so it, it changes the context for the actor i think for sure um obviously the movie fucking holds up though right i mean uh, really, you know oh it's great yeah i mean it's it's beautifully shot and and um viola God. And Viola and all of the performances are great. I just thought it was, if you're looking to pull on any threads, that that it was just a little bit flatter than than you know seeing it live and seeing that. But it's you're really splitting hairs because it's it's fences. I mean, it's, yeah. it's right. some of the you know. And I read a, a great little thing where. Um, where Denzel brought everybody together uh, as they started pre-production and all that. And he's like, Let, we're not going to do anything that isn't directly informed by August. Mm-hmm. In other words, right. his words are going to drive where we're going with, right. with all of this. Um, and, and you can see that. I mean, there's such uh, you know reverence for the material and, mm-hmm. and all yeah. that. And the script sure. was pretty spot on, right? Like close to the play script. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, yeah. other than those little location tweaks, I didn't really right. see anything. And well, August Wilson had done a draft of a screenplay before right. he died okay. for the nineteen ninety-one. So, yeah, yeah. And so when they brought Kushner in to sort of dust it off, so Kushner yeah. doesn't get credit as screenwriter; he right. gets credit mm-hmm. as a producer, story editor, producer. And, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, so he was really just sort of, you know, you know just over you know be, being the overseer of the words and right right and, right um but no if, if if you if you've never seen the play um seeing i i don't i wouldn't have a problem at all with people seeing this film and yeah but I, I you know it's it's it is interesting uh you know the people the filmmakers get nervous about about adapting plays in 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 a single room but yeah, there's some great ones out there that you know if you're smart enough it'll it pays off. When I was a kid, I used to have I had this uh, I actually still have it this Broadway DVD that was like a PBS special about Broadway and whatever, and I used to watch it on loop, and it just sort of walks through the basics. But then on the uh, there was like a special features disc, and that disc had a bunch of old 
um, Tony performances. And the Tonys used to have play scene performances. Mm. Yeah. They didn't just do the big musical numbers. They would have like scenes from plays and stuff, which I wish they still did. I know it would make it like an eight hour show, but it still would be so fun. Um, but there's a James Earl Jones scene uh, that was on that uh, special it, uh, features. Why do I have to like you? Yes. That's the one that, that I one. found on YouTube. And they, yeah. they, it's, that's the Tony performance. And it's the only filmed performance of that play of James Earl Jones doing it. Huh. And it's, it's the Tony, you know, one. And it, I, I just used to watch it all the time. Um, I was also a huge Field of Dreams fan. Me uh, too! Really, really big James Earl Jones guy when I was a kid. And then when I found out... Oh, guys, later, guys, like, we, yes. we need to turn, we need to turn, turn the subject. I despise Field of Dreams. Oh, come on. Um, I'm I talking do. about it's a bad movie. It's a oh, bad movie. Stop. They it's shoot that in movie. Illinois and Iowa in my mom's hometown of Galena, Illinois. Yeah, I'm going to cut this part out so that the whole podcast, uh, all of our listeners don't fully unfollow us for you saying that. Um, um, me and Gene <laughs> Siskel, by the way, who was like, I don't get it. I don't know why people are... Yeah. There's, there's a lot of better there's a lot Siskel. better baseball movies mm-hmm. I, mine is it's sentimentality <laughs> my dad loves that movie and we watched it together all the time when i was a kid i'm just a big fan of james uh and oh, that was yeah. really oh, my yeah. point is that he well just, you should watch dr strange love then and, and dr strange love he you know he rides the shit out of that fucking um uh, he doesn't but... oh that's right it's not him that's writing it but he's on but the that point. was his first movie that's right, and uh, he's phenomenal. And uh, I also got to meet James Earl Jones. Uh, at, ah! Yeah, my brother's American Film Institute graduation. He was the keynote. Oh my god! And uh, George Lucas introduced him. Oh. And uh, and sitting behind me was Ted Danson, <gasps> uh, Mary Steenburgen, <laughs> and uh, Malcolm McDowell. We're all sitting. Wow! Right behind me because all I heard was Ted Danson. Ted. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen's kid was graduating with my brother, but she was with Ted Danson. So they were all sitting together, but they were sitting directly behind me. Oh my and God. My brother pointed it out like right at the beginning. And so the whole time I was sitting there like freaking out, like knowing that they were sitting behind me, like making sure my head didn't move weird, like they were going to like judge me for it or whatever. And then afterwards, I introduced myself to Malcolm McDowell and to uh, James Earl Jones. Uh, I'm a awesome. Badass uh, little 12 year old kid who just thought he was a. Uh, Cool enough film buff to walk up to Malcolm McDowell and say, literally say, Mr. McDowell, Clockwork Orange. Wow. That's all I said. <laughs> Good one, Paige. <laughs> 12 years old. Uh, anyway. I, I, I had two final fences thoughts. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I was very interested by, because I've never seen a stage production of Fences, um, I was very interested by, because I, I also knew that James Earl Jones played Troy in it. Um, so I only saw that one scene from the Tony thing, and I was interested because I'm sure Denzel Washington felt like he had these enormous shoes to fill playing that role. Sure. And I have to say, like, they both approached that role completely differently, and both of them is beautiful and valid. And I liked... Oh, yeah. I, liked- I actually, I think Denzel comes from a more um, uh, realism Sort mm-hmm. you know, it's like it feels a little more like grounded in like you are a man's man of America. Like you are a like human grounded in America. Whereas James has this just like bravado that makes it very theatrical. I'm not and I'm power, not to, but powerful. That's exactly what I was about to say. It, it, that it, he gives this power to that that builds a fear. Whereas 
um, the fear that Denzel is building is from the undercut, the underplay, right? It's mm. that I'm afraid of you because you're not giving me anything. And I think I, it's two totally different ways to do it, like you said, and I, I think they're both fucking phenomenal. And then- well, and it's, it's, it's a testament to the, to the words. It's a testament to the writing of the character. For sure. You can have such... They're, they're not utterly different, but they're two very different men playing, you know, coming to that role. And right. the fact that both of them resonate so powerfully, yeah. you know. Well, and then, and, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say my last thing is, and this may be, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. Rose is who I wish Linda Lohman was. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, because yeah. Linda Lohman's a dish rag, right? She's meant to be that kind of like, uh, like I don't know what to do for my husband. Everything's bad. Oh no, you know, like but they're I, both I dealing with him. a difficult man, that right? Is making but, but life Rose hard for them is able to be a powerhouse in herself. Um, that character is, and most of his female characters are based on his mom, who he really believed was just yeah. very powerful and strong. And uh, I, I've heard criticism criticisms of Wilson's female characters and I just disagree. I just think mm. they're all really well rounded. Um, but this actually brings me to something that we should uh, move on to, which is Viola Davis's performance in another thing. However, you will have to wait until part two of movies made from plays to find out what that other Viola Davis role was or is, or however you want to put it. Uh, so join us next week uh, for part two of our series here on Theater Theater Pod on behalf of C.J. Merriman and J. Bailey Burcham and myself, Scott Leggett. Uh, we want to give a big thank you to Ryan Thomas Johnson for recording our theme song. We'll see you next week on Theater Theater Pod. The theater, the theater. Theater, theater. To be or not to be. Theater, theater. Two minutes, three minutes, one minute, two minutes, two minutes, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, one minute, two